Well, good morning, New Day. So good to see you guys. Thanks so much for being here today. I'm so glad you could be with us as we continue our current teaching series called Christ the King, where we're studying the gospel according to Matthew. Today, our text is Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. And in these verses, our theme is the laborers are few. Would you say that out loud with me? The laborers are few. Now, this is a theme uh, most of us can relate to uh, because due to the COVID-19 global pandemic, uh, we have been suffering a worker shortage in our country. I recently received a medical bill, and I didn't know what it was for, so I asked Kristen, hey, what's this for? And she said, I don't know what it's for. Uh, This is a great time to remind our first-time guests, we have five children. This is not an easy task at our house, sometimes figuring out what the medical bills are for. So I had to start making calls, and I just called around one person after another after another. I was put on hold. I was transferred 80 million times, but I finally discovered that the bill was for services rendered back in June. And I was just getting it now in October. And I said, hey, how come I'm just now being billed in October for services rendered back in June? And she said, sir, we're so sorry. There is a labor shortage. We are just short on people. And so we just cannot keep up uh, with our billing. And so we're, you know, months and months and months behind. Now, this isn't a unique experience that I've had. A few months back, uh, while my son was on the church softball team, I decided to bring him and his siblings out for uh, a McDonald's, you know, ice cream cone after the game ended. And we must have waited in line 20 minutes. But when we finally got up to the place where we were supposed to order, we still couldn't order. And they just apologized saying, sir, we're sorry. There's two of us running the entire restaurant. And they left for such a long time and didn't come back that we just had to leave, only to drive to Wendy's to have the exact same experience. (laughs) We drove to like three different McDonald's, and I think we finally got one in Westfield or something, you know, but I was like, we don't give up. We're Sorcinelli, so let's just keep going. (laughs) By a show of hands, who else has felt the labor shortage due to the pandemic. Anybody? Have you seen the we're hiring signs up? You know, they're just, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Well, I bring this up because in our text today, what Jesus is going to teach us about is a labor shortage that he had during his earthly ministry. Again, today we're in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. I'm going to begin by just reading you our text, and then with God's help, I'm going to do my best to break it down into little bite-sized pieces, and we'll make application at the end. Here we go. Matthew 9, beginning in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. All right, if you're taking notes today, the first thing Matthew shows us in this passage is what we're going to call the situation. 
And here I just want to describe for you like the situation that Jesus was in. And, and the situation in a nutshell was this. There were so many lost people that Jesus was trying to reach. Friends, when Jesus began his ministry, he set out to reach an entire nation. Some of us are overwhelmed at reaching uh, our family members, you know. Uh, Jesus set out to reach an entire nation. And when he set out, understand, he set out alone. For the first 18 months or so of Jesus' ministry, he was training his disciples. They weren't yet at the place where they could be helpful to him. And if you've ever hired a new employee, you know this. Uh, to begin with, they're extra work. And then after training and some time, they become a valuable uh, tool in your tool belt. But to start, their extra work, and that's how it was for Jesus. So he not only set out to reach an entire nation, but he had the extra work of raising up his staff. Jesus, when he began for the first 18 months of his ministry, he was doing all the preaching, all the teaching, and all the healing. As Matthew puts it, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. It doesn't say Jesus and his disciples, it says Jesus. So he had a gargantuan task in front of him and he was trying to handle that uh, pretty much by himself. So it says Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages and we have to ask ourselves, what's he talking about here? And friends, it's, it's really simple. Jesus was going throughout the villages and cities throughout Galilee. All right? So take a look at the map. We learn from the Jewish historian Josephus that at the time of Christ, there were 204 cities and villages in the region of Galilee. Israel, during the time of Christ, was comprised of two major territories, Judea in the south and Galilee in the north. And when Matthew says that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, uh, he's talking about the cities and villages in Galilee, an area about 40 miles wide and 70 miles long. Now, there was a first century historian named Josephus, and he wrote this about the region of Galilee. He said, the cities are numerous and the multitude of villages everywhere are crowded with men owing to the fertility of the soil so that the smallest of them, the smallest of the cities and villages contained above 15,000 inhabitants. So friends, 204 villages and cities, the difference being cities had walls around them, villages did not, but 204 cities and villages times a minimum of 15,000 people per village or city, and you've got over 3 million people living throughout Galilee. And Jesus is trying to reach them. So to reach them, what he would do, he would show up in the village or in the city, and he would go ahead and stop into uh, the local synagogue. And Jesus would teach the people the word of God, and he would let them know that everything that was written by the prophets in the Old Testament pointed to and were written about him, and that he was the fulfillment of those prophecies. Uh, this was something that was pretty incredulous to the people. And so what God the Father did was he empowered Jesus to perform many mighty miracles that would uh, prove the veracity of his claims. 
And then when Jesus had preached the word and confirmed his message via the miracles that God empowered him to do, uh, he would take off to go to the next village and do the same. But friends, you can imagine how slow this approach was. There were so many towns to go through and so many people to reach with the good news of the kingdom. Now, to make matters worse, huge crowds of people followed Jesus everywhere that he went, which slowed him down even more. He already took a slow approach just to individually go to every, you know, he went to every village and every city. But friends, sometimes there would be numerous synagogues uh, within a city if, or within a village if it was large enough. So this was just such a slow approach. So many people to reach, super slow approach. And now you have the ginormous crowds <laughs> slowing Jesus down everywhere he went. Because of the miracles that Jesus was performing, Matthew says, and he said this back in chapter 4, Matthew says of Jesus that his fame spread throughout all Syria. If you take a look at the map, you'll see that the Roman province of Syria included all the land of Israel and more. Matthew tells us that people came to Jesus from Galilee and people came to Jesus from the Decapolis, and people came to Jesus from Jerusalem and throughout all of Judea, and people came to him from even beyond the Jordan, which is a reference to the Gentile region of Perea, east of the Jordan River. And all of these people that flocked to Jesus wanted something from him. Remember a couple weeks back when we covered the story of Jairus and how Jesus was going to Jairus' house to uh, minister to Jairus' daughter who was on her deathbed? Um, on his way, a woman who had needs of her own stopped Jesus. And friends, this is what happened constantly because huge crowds flocked to Jesus. They wanted a free lunch. They wanted a healing. They wanted Jesus to cast out their demons or whatever it might be. He, just, he, it was, he was just slowed down. So a huge need. Jesus is trying to meet it, and he's just slowed down at every turn. See, many people were coming to Jesus, not really interested in their true need, which was spiritual cleansing. Many people came to Jesus just wanting him to minister to the outer man, uh, and they wanted physical cleansing. But when Jesus went around and ran into the prodigious number of people that were encapsulated in the crowd, um, Jesus was always uh, having such compassion and concern and care, not just for their physical needs, that their bellies were full, that their bodies were healed, that the demons were cast out. Jesus also had great, great concern for their spiritual need. He had great concern and primary concern over their spiritual need for the salvation of their souls. And that's why we read this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Friends, here Jesus expresses his concern for the people's spiritual needs. Matthew's already told us in verse 35 how Jesus ministered to their physical needs as he healed all their diseases and cured them of all their afflictions. But now Matthew's letting us know that Jesus' primary concern was for their spiritual welfare. His primary concern was for the salvation of their soul. And the nation as a whole was lost. 
Because the people of Israel uh, are compared here by Jesus to a flock of sheep that don't have a shepherd. Now, friends, goats will fare just fine with, on their own. They don't need a shepherd. They're, they'll be good. They eat just about anything, and, and they're good, all right? But sheep, they need a shepherd. Now, the religious leaders of Israel were supposed to care for the flock, primarily doing their job of pointing them to the only one who could save them from the penalty for sin. But friends, did they do this when Jesus came? Were they like, there's the Savior of the world? Did they do what John the Baptist did? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No, what did they do? They said, oh, there's Jesus. He performs his miracles by the power of Satan. So they failed to do the one thing they were supposed to do. And because the religious leaders failed to do the one thing they were supposed to do, point people to Jesus, Jesus excoriated them, saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. So just as an actual flock of sheep would suffer physically without a shepherd, so the flock of Israel was suffering spiritually for want of shepherds who would point them to the only one who could save them from the penalty God's law demanded for sin. So Jesus was just so burdened over the three million people living throughout Galilee. There were so many lost people that he was trying to reach, and he was slowed down at every turn by the crowds, and his workload was multiplied because not only were his disciples not yet trained, but the religious leaders hadn't prepared the people in any way for his arrival. So talk about a daunting task, reaching an entire nation under those conditions. Friends, that's, number one, the situation. And now that you've seen the situation, let's note the second thing we see in our text, which we're going to call the shortage. The shortage. We see the shortage in verse 37, and it's pretty straightforward. Here, Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. And guys, we just covered that, right? Harvest is plentiful. Huge harvest of souls to be won. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So it's interesting. Here, Jesus switches metaphors. He had used the metaphor of a flock, and now he's using the metaphor of a field. First, the people of Israel were a flock of sheep without a shepherd, and now they're a vast harvest in a farmer's field that needs to be gathered in. Now, I know we're not a big uh, farming community, all right? But imagine you had a thousand acres of land and a huge harvest of wheat. Would you ever try to bring that harvest in single-handedly? No way, that would be crazy. Even with the crazy uh, tractors that we have uh, in the 21st century that can help with the task, uh, even with a tractor, even if you had a Lamborghini farming tractor, which they have, you would still have trouble getting the job done yourself. It's just too big of a task. So imagine how much more so this would be the case for the people living back then who would be using a rudimentary sickle to harvest the wheat by hand. Friends, this would be an impossible task, and this is precisely Jesus' point. 
There's just too many people to reach single-handedly. And if he can't reach the three million people living in Galilee, then he certainly can't additionally reach the millions and millions of people uh, living south of them in the region of Judea. So the harvest is plentiful. There's loads of people ready to get right with God, but the workers are few. Now let's talk about that for just a second. The workers are few. What does that mean? Friends, up to this point, it's only been John the Baptist and Jesus, and that's it. And guess which one of them is dead? John the Baptist. Jesus was ministering in the region of Judea, but when John the Baptist was put to death, God the Father relocated Jesus to the northern region of Galilee that he might not meet a premature death. And so it was two people, and now it's back to just one. Jesus by himself, at this point, no help from his disciples. So talk about a worker shortage. It was just like McDonald's and Wendy's. (laughs) The religious leaders aren't helping. They're doing the opposite of helping. And Jesus' disciples, they're in training, so they're not helping either. So here in these verses, Jesus points out the shortage of workers for the huge task of reaching all of Galilee with the good news of the kingdom. Now that you've seen the shortage, let's finally note the solution. Because Jesus doesn't just bring up the problem, he also points us to the solution. And we see the solution in verse 38, where Jesus says this, therefore, now friends, anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to understand what it's there for, okay? Therefore, meaning in light of the massive need and the minuscule number of workers, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, meaning into his harvest fields. Now, friends, here's the deal. What we're going to learn when we get to Matthew 13 in just a few weeks or months or whatever it is, we're going to see that at the end of the age, there's going to be a huge harvest of judgment. And God the Father, who is Lord of the harvest, will oversee the angels as they perform uh, the harvest. They're going to bring in both the wheat and the weeds. The we, of course, refers to true believers. The weeds uh, refer to false believers. And the angels are going to bring them both in in a final harvest of judgment. When the angels do this, with God the Father, the Lord of the harvest, overseeing the wheat, the true believers will be barned, okay? They will be brought to heaven. But the weeds will be burned. They will be sent to hell. (coughs) And God the Father, the Lord of the harvest, will oversee the reaping performed by the angels, making sure no wheat is burned and making sure no weeds are barned. Excuse me. And between now and that future harvest, where people's eternal state will be fixed by God, we are to pray to God, the Lord of the harvest, to send laborers into the field. God wants laborers to work to prepare people for that coming harvest of judgment. Now, I want you to note this. Jesus doesn't say, 
just get right to work because there's a big need. He says, don't get right to work. I want you to begin by praying about the problem. And I did a lot of study on this. I did a lot of uh, thinking on this because I wanted to know why Jesus didn't just say, go get right to work. I mean, when our kids have a dirty room, we don't say, let's just begin with prayer. Let's just pray about the problem. We say, get to work. So, so why did Jesus not take that approach here? Why does he say, hey, there's so many people to be saved. You would think he would say, get to it. Go into the villages and the towns and, and just start doing all the things that I was doing. Preach and teach and heal and God will, you know, confirm everything you say with the miracles and then move on to the next one and now we can just, you know, multiply and this and that and the other. Now, friends, next week, that's exactly what Jesus is going to say. But he doesn't start there. He says, let's begin with prayer. And I think there's at least three reasons why. Number one, if you're still taking notes, when we pray, uh, we get God's perspective. God just doesn't see people. Jesus didn't just see people. Jesus saw lost people. Jesus didn't just see uh, people. He saw people with deep spiritual need. And when we pray, we can begin seeing people as God sees them. And friends, this is actually a super important part of spiritually preparing our heart to minister to lost people. So number one, when we pray, we get God's perspective. We start seeing them as God sees them. And when that happens, number two, we get God's compassion. So when we pray, number one, we get God's perspective. Number two, when we pray, we get God's compassion. When we realize what bad shape the flock of this world is in for want of a shepherd, we stop looking on them in judgment and start looking on them with compassion. If they only have the same good shepherd that we have, guiding them and leading them and helping them make decisions, maybe their life wouldn't be in such a mess. When we look upon people in judgment, we don't want to share our faith with them. When we look on people with compassion, we want to help. Finally, number three, and I love this one, and this was probably the most uh, kind of aha moment, eureka moment that I had uh, in my study. When we pray, number three, we begin seeing ourselves as part of the solution. Let me uh, illustrate it to you like this. Uh, it was several weeks back, whatever it was, maybe a month now, uh, but my poor wife, she was having a rough morning. The baby had been up. He's 11 months old now, so he's still up throughout the night. He was up all throughout the night. When she woke up in the morning trying to read her Bible, he just would not stop crying. Um, our son Lincoln woke up sick. The house was a mess, and on and on the list goes. It was just, it was just a rough morning. And so, you know, I, I do love my wife, and uh, being a loving husband, I, I said a prayer for her. But the moment I prayed for her, I began seeing myself as part of the solution to her problem. It was right to pray for her, right? It was right to pray for my wife but it would have been wrong to stop at praying. I am so sorry you're having a tough time. Lord, just help her. All right. (laughs) 
So I say, hey, give me that prune and yogurt breakfast we're feeding our infant son and let me help you out. When we pray, we immediately begin seeing ourselves as part of the solution to the problem. And that, I believe, is why God tells us, don't just start by working. Don't just, don't just get out there and try to check off, I shared my faith from your spiritual to-do list. No, begin with prayer. And when you pray, you start getting God's uh, perspective and God's compassion and God's bird, burden for the lost. And you all of a sudden in prayer begin seeing yourself as part of the solution. And that is exactly what God wants. All right, pretty straightforward passage. Only a few verses. But let me go ahead and summarize what we've covered so far. Galilee is loaded with over 3 million lost souls. And that's the situation. And so far, it's only been John the Baptist and Jesus working to reach them. And now John the Baptist is dead. That's the shortage. So Jesus tells his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest, asking him to send laborers into his harvest fields. And friends, that's the solution. And what I came to tell you guys today, I just wanted to remind you of something so simple, something you already know, but it's something we all from time to time need to be reminded of. And it's this. You and I have the same exact problem that Jesus had 2,000 years ago. Same problem. Nothing's changed. We, too, have a massive harvest field and a minuscule labor force. And I want to talk briefly on each of these topics. Massive harvest field, minuscule labor force. Let's begin with the massive harvest field. George Barna, you've heard me talk about him before. He's the founder of the Barna Group, a market research firm specializing in studying the religious beliefs and behaviors of Americans, which is something he's been doing since 1984. And every couple of years, he does a little research project to determine which cities in America have the largest harvest fields, the most amount of people who are far from God and in need of his saving grace. And here's how they do it. They evaluate each city by 16 different factors. And if a city on average meets nine of the 16, nine or more of the 16 criteria, they're labeled as post-Christian, meaning they have like a pretty large harvest field. But if they meet 13 or more of the 16 criteria, they're labeled as highly post-Christian, meaning they have a huge harvest field, a huge number of unsaved people living within them. Now, the Barna Group does the research and then posts the rankings to show us which areas of our country have the greatest uh, harvest potential. Now, we're going to get into the cities in just a moment, but I want to begin with some of the states before we get to the cities. Of the 100 rankings, let's deal with just the top 10. And you've seen this before. Again, today is a reminder. But friends, is Maine listed in the top 10? Yep. Is New Hampshire listed in the top 10? Yep. Is Vermont listed in the top 10? Better believe it. Is Massachusetts listed in the top 10? Uh-huh. Is Connecticut listed in the top 10? Yes, siree. And finally, is Rhode Island listed in the top 10? Yep. So what I'm showing you is that some of the largest harvest fields in the United States are located right here in New England. So friends, that's our 
situation. We looked at Jesus' situation, huge amount of people that need to be saved, massive harvest fields in the area Jesus was ministering. And friends, I want you to know that his situation, that's our situation. It's the exact same. Now, not only is every single state in New England listed in the top 100 largest harvest fields, um, they're all in the top 10. So don't make any mistake about it. We are strategically located where God has put us. And that's why he's uh, put in the leadership of this church a a vision for starting other Jesus-loving, gospel-preaching, disciple-making churches. We want to fill this region with them because there's such a shortage and because there's such a large harvest that needs to be reached. Now listen, of all the New England states, the largest harvest fields, they're in Connecticut and Massachusetts. Hartford, located 15 minutes south of us, was listed as the seventh largest harvest field. And Springfield, located 15 minutes to our north, was listed number one. This is why our next location, we're going back to Massachusetts. We got one here in Connecticut. Our next location will be in Massachusetts. It's number one biggest harvest field in all the country. So you see, we're in the same situation Jesus was in. Huge harvest fields all around us. Millions of lost people all around us who desperately need to hear the good news of the kingdom. And now that we've established the massive harvest fields, let's note the minuscule labor force. I hate to throw some stats at you, but I do think there's times for us to hear stats as dull as they can be to just kind of help us gauge sort of where we're at uh, in Christendom. So here's the deal. 50 years ago, 90% of Americans identified as Christians. Today, that number's dropped to 63. Now, we know that it's not 63. (laughs) This is like some survey. Oh, I got to check a box. Okay, Christian, you know. Many of these are nominal and the vast majority not sharing their faith. In another Barner report entitled Sharing Faith is Increasingly Optional to Christians, Barna notes the following. He says, a growing number of Christians no longer feel it's their personal responsibility to share their faith. More and more Christians now view that as the church's job. His survey reveals that less than one in five are actively looking to create faith-sharing opportunities with their lost friends and neighbors and family members and coworkers. So the bottom line is this. We have a smaller percentage of Christians than ever before with more and more of them believing that reaching the lost isn't their personal responsibility. And this is why we have a minuscule labor force. The harvest has remained as big as ever and the number of workers is dwindling down to Jesus first century levels. So we saw Jesus' shortage, and now we see our own. But heaven forbid we end the service here. That would just be depressing. We got to end on a high note, right? Because that's where Jesus ends. And though the harvest is great, and though the workers are few, there is hope. And Jesus gives us a solution to the problem. And he says, you want to do something about this? Let me tell you where to begin. And here's your next fill in the blank. Jesus says, prayer 
is where we begin fixing the problem. It's not where we stop, but it's a great place to start. It's the only place to start. So friends, when most Christians hear a sermon like this, they're like, okay, God expects that I share my faith. Let me just go out and do it quick so I can check it off the list. But friends, people know when you view them as a project and people know when you approach them out of a deep-seated concern uh, and when you approach them uh, with a heart of love and care and concern for their well-being and for their eternity. So don't just get to working Begin with prayer. Let God burden your heart for the lost. Let God allow his compassion to well up within you. And as you pray, let God help you begin seeing that you are the solution to the problem. Friends, why do we pray? For the same reason a lumberjack doesn't begin his day chopping down trees. How does a lumberjack begin his day? Sharpening his axe. Sharpening his axe helps him to be more effective. We begin with prayer because prayer helps us to be more effective. We have to begin with prayer. So friends, here's what I'm asking you to do this week. I'm asking you to add an item to your prayer list if it's not there already. Back in Matthew 6, we learned how to pray. Back in Matthew 6, we covered the Lord's Prayer, which was a program to guide us through a meaningful time of prayer with God. And friends, when you get to the part, give us this day our daily bread, I want you to go ahead and ask God for something. And I want you to ask him for exactly what Jesus instructed us to ask him for in our text today. That he, the Lord of the harvest, would send laborers into his harvest fields. Now to help you do this this week, we've added, take a look in your worship guide, we've added a four by six prayer card in your worship guide. I'm actually gonna ask, would you just go ahead and grab that? Would you grab that right now? Just take a second, find your worship guide. Grab this little card. The front looks like this, the back looks like this. And I just want us, for those who would like to, I would like us to pray together. And this is what I'm gonna be asking you to do uh, all week long. So here's the prayer. And if you want to, would you uh, say it along with me? I know we're reading it off a screen, but let's just focus in on God and let's express the desire of our heart. Here we go. Heavenly Father, there's so many lost souls and so few working to reach them with the glorious gospel of Christ. So I pray that you would send laborers into the harvest fields of this world, into my family, into my neighborhood, into my workplace. I pray in Christ's name, amen. My challenge is that you would take this and post it uh, on the mirror you get ready in each morning that you would maybe take it and tape it to your dashboard in your car. Maybe for others of you, you would put it on your desk. The challenge is just put it somewhere where you're going to see it multiple times a day all week long. And I'm just asking for the next seven days. Would you just pray, God, send laborers into your harvest field. I believe we can do something about the problem. But friends, it begins with prayer. So would you do that with me? over the next week. This is the start to fixing the problem. 
Now, before I turn things over to Summer, let me just say this. Don't miss next week, okay? Today and next week go together. You ever heard of the one-two punch? All right, okay. This week is this punch. Next week is this punch. All right? You got to be here next week because in Jesus' plan for us to reach the world with the glorious gospel of Christ, with the good news of the kingdom, today was step one. Next week is step two. And I hope to see each and every one of you here. And I hope everyone tuned in online will be able to tune in again next week as we learn step two and how to reach our world for Jesus. God bless you. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. We would love to connect with you even more. So be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you, and we hope to see you again soon.